This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. The coloring of syrup will change from the start of the season to the end of the season. And people always think that the darker color syrup is the better syrup. But the lighter color syrup comes off earlier in the spring, and it is considered a higher quality syrup, even though it doesn't look dark. It looks very light. And what happens over the, the course of the three to four weeks is the enzymes in the tree will change as it's moving and getting ready to bud. But typically by the last part of the year, in fact, sometimes if you, if you go really late in the year, the syrup will almost take on a molasses flavor. That's Stuart Sutton. Most days, he's the CEO of a transportation technology software company. But every year for a few weeks early in the spring, he taps the trees on his property in Newmarket, Ontario, and rallies a crowd to produce a few hundred bottles of maple syrup. Hey, Stuart, welcome to the show. Uh, Glad to be here, Mary. Let's begin. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I I was born in northern Ontario in a small mining community uh, called Hawaii, Ontario. Do you know where Hawaii, Ontario is? No, I do not. And when I saw that, I honestly thought it was a typo. No. Well, I've renamed my hometown. And I, I went, to, went to school and high school in Cancun. And my wife is from five miles north of Hawaii in, in Aruba. Uh, but there are really three little towns called Cobalt, Haleybury, and Lisgard, about 100 miles north of North Bay. Okay. But I've renamed it Hawaii, uh, Cancun, and Aruba because it sounds more exotic when it's 40 below and you have to go up there. You know? So but anyways, I grew up there and then I went uh, to university, got a degree in math, computer science back way back before you were born. And I uh, learned to program on computer punch cards, which nobody even knows what those are. And uh, then I worked in several industries, went back and got an MBA and uh, started working in the transportation industry in 95. Uh, then started my first business in 2001, sold it to a company out of California in 2011, ran it for a few more years and started this last one back in 2015, been running it for about seven years. Uh, in the last 10 years, I moved from uh, Windsor to Newmarket, where I owned about 20 acres of bush uh, just outside of Newmarket. And it came with about eight to 10 acres of maple sugar bush. And it also came with uh, a lot of the equipment to make maple syrup. So that's uh, kind of a hobby I've been doing for the past 10 years since I moved to this property. We call this property, by the way, Serendipity Forest, mm-hmm. uh, because my, I asked my wife and daughter what we should call it. We've got to give everything a name. Everything in our property has a name. And uh, they thought, well, Serendipity was a nice name because it was kind of, an, uh, 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 it's kind of a surprise, a, a, an unexpected or pleasant surprise. I think that's what the definition of Serendipity means. And um, it's kind of a, uh, an unexpected surprise because whenever anybody comes to this place, we're just um, just outside of Newmarket, and they can't believe that there's a place like this so close to the city. In fact, uh, we're about three kilometers away from a Costco, and it's five kilometers to my rural mailbox. So I'm closer to a Costco than my mailbox. I mean, you're talking to someone who lives in the heart of downtown Toronto. It sounds amazing, and it does sound so serene. It is. It's uh, it's very quiet. Uh, when when COVID hit, it gave us our own little bubble, and you know we could go off property maybe once a week to get our groceries and such. But we uh, we don't have to leave uh, go very far to get the basics and, of of life. And and of course, we have our own vegetable garden. Uh, I built a root cellar. We call it Helms Deep uh, to store our, our vegetables and 
you know, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to kind of have our own little, our own little place. Oh, that sounds amazing. I have my little vegetable garden here, but it is little. When I say little, it's little. Uh, but I make use of whatever land and space that I have. Is this why you decided to get into the maple syrup business? Well, I'll tell you what happened was uh, my youngest sister owns the acreage next to us, and she kept bothering us to to move to Newmarket. And when I sold my last company, this property came open, and so we, we bought it, and then it just came with the equipment. So we we started doing it just because it was here. And did you know anything about it? Nothing. In fact, the uh, the fellow that the, the I guess call him the grandfather that did the maple syrup on the property before us, he kind of uh, showed me the ropes. Uh, his name is Harold Meeson, and he's 93 now. He came uh, a couple of days ago. Um, he's getting feeble now, but he was the one who showed us how to do it. And uh, we've continued to enhance the process over the last 10 years. When he did it, he did it completely outside. And we did that the first year. It was outside and it was snowing and raining and working in the mud. And so I built a uh, kind of a sugar shack and we've been producing it in the sugar shack ever since. I've got a game for you. Are you up for it? Sure. Okay, fill in the blanks. Blank is how I temporarily escape. Uh, plain solitaire. I want to try blank. Scuba dive. Blank is my love language. Silence. I know you don't want to hear that. <laughs> so, I was like, get ready to say my next question. <laughs> I was going to say, there's, there's three things I tell Rosemary when I talk to her. When I come home, I say, when I come home, I, you know, I, hey, I'm sorry. It's my fault. And where do I sleep tonight? <laughs> if I could go anywhere right now, where would I go to? Hong Kong. See my daughter. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen her in over two years. Because oh, of the pandemic? Mm-hmm. That's tough. I'm always late to blank. Oh, Are you ever late? Well, we have this thing called wa time. We try to be early, 15 minutes early for everything. I'm always late to answer these questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that. Okay, so I know there are different ways to produce the maple syrup. And it, like you mentioned, one was outside, which is a traditional and how it began. And then you started now in the sugar shack. Can you tell us the difference between the two of them? Well, actually, there's only one way to make maple syrup, and that is to condense the water out of it. It's just that uh, he he had a big pan. When it's first done, if you look at the history of it, it was probably done in like a big cauldron where they would boil it and continue to add syrup. And they might just set up a tripod over a fire where they would continually add sap to the mixture. Now, maple syrup, uh, it takes 40 liters of sap to make one liter of maple syrup so you're basically condensing the water out of this sap to make the syrup it goes from about 97 percent water down to about 35 percent water when you're done with it and all you're doing is removing the water that's all so the old way was doing it outside I, i still do it somewhat the old way which means i hang buckets on the trees i go and i collect the buckets from the trees and i bring it back to the sugar sack and then you start the condensing process um, more advanced technologies that they use today is they'll 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 put hoses in the trees, have pumps pumping the the sap back into the sugar shack. They might use a process called reverse osmosis, which is going to take a bunch of the water out of the sap before they start the boiling process, which speeds up the boiling process. But I when I would do a batch of sap, uh, I would do six or seven barrels. So I'm, I'm going to go to imperial measure here: 50 gallons in a barrel. I would have six or seven barrels where I'd start a batch. I would burn for 
two to three days. And at the end, I would get six to eight gallons of syrup. And it would take two to three days for me to condense that down. And I would use, I use uh, wood. So dead, dead trees off my property, I'd cut them down. And uh, I use that for my fuel source. The more advanced companies that do mass production of maple syrup will use other uh, heat sources to to uh, condense the sap, you know, like propane or oil mm-hmm. or, or gas. So how much time would you say it takes to produce maple syrup? So there's three main things you do with to make maple syrup. First thing is the putting everything out on the trees so that's hanging all the buckets all the spouts all the hoses and when i say hoses we would put a bucket on me and depending on the size of the tree you might put a hose or two to run into the bucket so you cannot cap a maple syrup tree by the way until it's at least 12 inches in diameter you know which is about uh, 30 centimeters and that means the tree is about 40 years old so you gotta have a mature tree uh mature forest before you can even start this process okay so the Number the, the big job number one is to get all the taps out. So we put out a roughly 220 trees we tap, and in total about 600 taps. And I usually set up a day, and I get some friends that will come in, and we have some drills and and hammers and such, and we just go out and we spend the whole day tapping. So that's the first big job. Second big job is collecting and condensing. So that lasts roughly three to four weeks in the spring. Uh, the sap only runs in the spring. When uh, the temperature falls below zero overnight and then gets above zero during the day and the, ta- and the sap will run. Once the temperature stays above zero for more than a day and a half or two days, it stops running. When it's below zero, it will not run because it's water, it's frozen. Uh, so then you're, you're uh, collecting and condensing and that will go on for, like I said, three or four weeks. Do you check it daily? If the temperature is moving, yes, I will check it daily. Uh, we usually collect once a day. I have big enough buckets on the trees that they typically don't overflow. Wow. Okay. And uh, uh, I put either two gallon or three gallon pails on, depending on the size of the tree. Uh, if they are going to overflow, we'll sometimes we'll just go and pick up some of the bigger trees, uh, taps and bring them back. But usually we, we I, I, I send an email out to my broadcast email to my group of people and go, Hey, we're going to collect tonight at five o'clock. And uh, you know, some will say, okay, I can make it tonight or I can't. And then they show up. I have um, ATVs. And I've got boxes set up on the ATVs and I have five gallon pails with uh, screw lids that I've set up. And I have people go out and they take buckets, they start collecting off the trees because I'm on a hilly property. It's not like flat. Uh, And they start collecting off the trees and bring it up to the trails and ATVs come along, pick it up, bring it back to the sugar shack, dump it into barrels. And I store it in barrels. So, so far this year, I've collected 36 barrels of sap. Last year, I collected 54 barrels of sap before I stopped collecting. And then when it's all done, uh, the next big job is to take everything down and clean it up. <clears throat> and that can take three days of work with multiple people to help you clean and wash all the buckets, all the barrels, all the equipment, all the hoses, all the fittings, wash it all up and put it away. And then one other big job, I said there were three, there's four big jobs. And that next big job is to get the wood for the next year. So then I'll spend the next three to four weeks collecting uh, dead trees, cutting them up, splitting them, hauling them, stacking, them, getting it ready for the next year. And the harvest season is, it's a short season. It is, yes. Spring, because that's when the sap is, is running. Uh, it's going to nurture the tree to get it ready for the next year. It's got the sugar. So how, you know, how every plant works is that it's taking energy from the sun through photosynthesis, creating sugar, storing that sugar in the plant, uh, either in the plant or in the roots of the plant. 
And then uh, in the spring, it's going to use that stored sugar to help nurture the tree to get the next generation going. Mm, okay. And every plant generates this. People say, well, can I tap other trees? You can, but the sugar maple is the one that has the highest concentration of sugar in its sap. There's five different varieties of maple. The sugar maple is the one with the highest concentration of sugar. Uh, some people will make a syrup out of a birch tree, for example. So a maple, sugar maple tree will take 40 liters of sap to make one liter of syrup. A birch tree will be 80 liters of sap to make one liter of syrup. So that's why the sugar maple is, is the one that's used because you need less of the original product, the sap, to make the final product, the syrup. That is interesting. Now, what about your harvest this year? So far this year, we've uh, it's been a late spring. And people ask me, when, that, when I ask them if they want to come and, and help, they I say, yeah, yeah. They say, well, I'll come and help on the weekend. Well, so far this year, nothing has happened on the weekend because Mother Nature dictates when things will happen based on the rise and fall of temperature. So this year has been a late spring. We've had a lot of work during the week where we collect during the week. And we've produced 222 liters so far this spring. And I figure I've got about another week to week and a half before it'll be done. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to be around 300 liters this year. And is this a record for you or is this? No, last year I did 320. Uh, I might do that again this year. That last year was phenomenal. And basically I go until I run out of wood. Mm -hmm. uh, and last year, the last day we collected, uh, I filled up 10 barrels and I had extra stuff left over. The last day we had like a Sapageddon day where it just went, went nuts. It froze to like minus four overnight. It went to plus 12 with uh, sun and the trees just went nuts producing sap. And uh, we just couldn't, we ended up having to throw some away because I just couldn't condense it. And I ran out of wood. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Stuart Sutton, entrepreneur and sugar maker. So let's talk about the process of actually making maple syrup. Yes, please. Water boils. Let's, I, I'm going to use the Fahrenheit scale because this has always been done in Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. not Celsius. Okay, so water boils at 212 Fahrenheit, but it, always, but it doesn't always boil at 212. Uh, do you know why? No. But the boiling point of water is dependent on air pressure. So the higher the air pressure, the lower air pressure will change the boiling point of water. So just like, you know, we have a pressure cooker, it will, a pressure cooker will let you boil water faster because it's under pressure. Okay. So uh, every day the boiling point of water changes. Maple syrup boils at 7.2 degrees above the boiling point of water. So every day I would calculate, I would calibrate my thermometer to what is the boiling point of water today? So it could be 210, could be 211, could be 212, maybe sometimes 213, but we're close to uh, sea level. So that's the other thing. Air pressure is different, sea level versus up in the mountains. Right. right. You have lower air pressure, so you have different boiling points. So we're pretty close to sea level here around Toronto area. Uh, I think we're like three or 400 feet above sea level. So it's pretty close to... Uh, you know, it'd be anywhere from 210 to 212. So then when I have my thermometer says, hey, if this is where boiling point of water is, there's another line in my thermometer says this is where it will be syrup. So I put that into the uh, boiling pan. And when it gets close to 219, let's say it's 212 today, then 219 would be the boiling point of syrup. I would then uh, pull that syrup off and I would finish it by taking it in, putting it into, into a separate pan uh, pot and make sure I get it right up to that line. And then from there, I would filter it again um, and then I would bottle it. Uh, and usually by then it's also pasteurized because you've boiled it, you know, well above 212 by that time. 
So it's quite a process from taking it from out of the tree into the barrels, into the holding tank, through the various boiling, boiling processes, up to the right temperature, filtering it a couple of times, and then putting it in a bottle. And that's a lot. And then you get to enjoy it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then you get to enjoy it. <laughs> People come to help, you know, I give them a couple of liters of syrup to help out, which they, they enjoy. But they like they like kind of like coming to it and they, they, they just are amazed at how much sap comes out of a tree. They're amazed at the whole process. Uh, in the sugar shack, I, I've got a wall. And every year, whoever comes and helps gets to sign their name on the wall. And they, you know, I've got people that have come back every year. Uh, because sometimes I think they just want to put their name on the wall. But, uh, you know, but they'll come and help out. And it doesn't take that long. We get enough people out. Uh, we can pick up 200 trees and four or five barrels of sap in about 45 minutes with uh, the ATVs running and all. You mentioned the sugar shack a few times. What exactly happens in the sugar shack, the actual sugar shack? Yeah, the sugar shack, it's pretty a boring job Okay. Uh, because because by that time, the uh, the sap's been collected. I have a sump pump that puts it up into a holding tank. And I, you know, I have to fill that up every uh, every couple of hours or so. I put another another tank in there. And then all you're doing is you're putting wood in the stove. And uh, when the temperature gets high enough, you're drawing off some of the syrup. So uh, when I'm, I'm doing uh, burning or boiling it, or cooking, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'll work, uh, I work from home. So I, I go to my office and every 20, 30 minutes, I'll go put some more wood on. And then I'll just watch the temperature of this syrup. And if it's getting high enough, then I'll, I'll draw some off. And then at the end of the day, I'll go into the, uh, the woodshed where I do the finishing and I'll take whatever I've drawn off and make sure I take it up to 219 and, and uh, then bring it into the house and bottle it. And that's a great way to get your steps in. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, well, so it's a great Fitbit ad. It is, but you know, if you get stuck in a meeting, the fire goes out. Uh, you know, because the last thing you want to do is what's called lose the boil. Because once you get the thing boiling, you want to keep it boiling. And when you lose the boil, then it's going to take more energy to get it boiling again. Oh, that uh, is another question. So if you do lose the boil, is it that's mm -hmm. it? It's done. It's you've just basically lost that batch, or no, no, no. You just keep no, going. You just okay. have to start. You just have to start boiling it up. You know, if you keep boiling it, you're not really going to. It's not going to hurt anything. Um, and even stuff like there'll be stuff that will float in. Like you'll get some uh, when you open the door to throw some wood in. There might be a couple ashes come out and get into the sap, but that'll all get filtered out. It's a cooking process, right? And does the cooking process does it impact the coloring of the syrup? So that's a good question. The coloring is it, when the color of syrup will change from the start of the season to the end of the season. And people always think that the darker color syrup is the better syrup. But the lighter color syrup comes off earlier in the spring, and it is considered a higher quality syrup, even though it doesn't look dark. It looks very light. And what happens over the, the course of the three to four weeks is the enzymes in the tree will change as it's moving and getting ready to bud. And something else come, must come out of the tree because over the course of the season, the syrup does get darker. Mm, okay. This year, has I haven't seen that much of a change yet. Again, it's been a later year. Uh, but typically by the last part of the year, in fact, sometimes if you if you go really late in the year, uh, the syrup will almost take on a molasses -y flavor and it gets darker. This all sounds so good to me because I, I absolutely love maple syrup. Um, to me, I, I could use it in my salad dressings, everything on top of fish. It's just, it's fantastic. It's so versatile. But how do you enjoy your maple syrup? 
Well, you know, the traditional stuff is fine, uh, you know, on your pancakes, but um, I really like it with a little bit of vanilla ice cream. You asked me vanilla or chocolate, right? Uh, vanilla ice cream and some walnuts and maple syrup. And it is absolutely great. It's great for a dessert. Like it's a simple, simple uh, dessert when you have people over. You have some maple, you have, uh, I, I put the ice cream in the middle of the table. I put the maple syrup dispenser there and some walnuts. And I say, go at it. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Oh, I would ask for the biggest bowl if I were there. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is everything that I love. So we're going to do a game called This or That. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Coffee or tea? Coffee. But my bad. Tea. Or do you do both? I do both. I learned to drink tea early, early on up in Northern Ontario, uh, fishing and hunting when I was young. Mm-hmm. So I mean, always drank everything black. No sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was black because you didn't want to pack anything into the bush. Oh, okay. I actually don't use sugar in my coffee either, but I do treat myself and I use maple syrup. Uh-huh. And my coffee, which is really nice, or maple butter. <laughs> Cinnamon buns or pumpkin loaf? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I got to take both. <laughs> Do I have to pick one? <laughs> I'll give you this one. You can have both on this one. Now, this one's this one's serious. Give up sugar or give up salt? Give up sugar. I don't eat sugar. <gasps> I use maple syrup, remember? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. I should have known that one. And I cannot let you leave without asking, what is your kitchen confession? Will you share one with us? Yeah, well, it's maple syrup related. So uh, when, uh, you know, you've got to heat the maple syrup up before you bottle it and uh, take it up to at least 180 before you bottle it. So uh, what happens, I will, uh, when I filter the uh, syrup that comes out of the pan, there's usually some stuff that's left over. It's still filtering and I let it drip for a day or so to make sure I get it all out. And I'll end up with maybe uh, four or five cups of syrup that I've got to finish bottling. So I'll put it on the stove, heat it up and then bottle it. Um, and in the kitchen, that's usually the only thing I ever do in the kitchen for bottling. It's just the last little dregs of whatever's come out of the filter. So I put it on and I went back into my office and I'm starting to work away. And Rose comes in and goes, what's that smell? I go, oh my God. And I run it out and the, you, you can, you know what sugar is when it, when it boils over. Yep. It was all over the stove. Oh no. And yeah. And <laughs> you know, the smell of burnt syrup all over ours is a glass top stove. Oh no. And it went over the counter and down into the drawers and onto the, oh, it, was, my gosh. it was a mess <laughs> to clean up. And it was only for the sake of a couple of cups of maple syrup that I was going to can. (laughs) (laughs) We took us three hours to clean up that mess because they got into everything. Oh, my gosh. And you probably were cleaning that up for days to come for sure. Yeah. So there's Uh, there's a couple of things Rose doesn't let me do in the kitchen anymore. Um, That is, you know, boil maple syrup without (laughs) being tethered to the stove uh, or use my chainsaw, one of the two. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. I've learned so much. It's great talking to you, Mary. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. 
Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.